Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series, Great is the Lord, a study on the book of Malachi. For more information on CBC or how you can get connected, go to the website, www.cbcsavannah.com. Church, uh, it feels like the last couple weeks we, we've been getting smoked as a church, just really just attack after attack, family after family, whether it's funerals, we got ERs, we got ICUs. Just, it's just been a nuts month for us, more than probably we've ever seen. And just reminded by one of the guys on staff that after great, just like in the book of Acts, always after great victories, there's attacks. It's just the way it is. Um, and so we're seeing those now. And, uh, and if you're there and you're in the midst of that right now, you need, to, you need to take courage knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Uh, Peter says to resist from your faith. We look around the world, we see a, an earthquake in Nepal, two, 3,000 people killed there, just a lot of chaos. Uh, but we have a God who is sovereign and good and directs all things according to his goodness. And so let's pray, just asking for his hand on, on the people in Nepal, that the gospel have uh, opportunity to take root, and just for our time in the word, and just for our people who are, a lot of them are struggling uh, significantly right now. As you, many of you know, there's a fire, I think, on Thursday night. On Wilmington Island, that was one of our folks, lost everything. Um, so just a lot going on. So let me pray, and we'll jump into the scripture. Father, um, nothing takes you by surprise. Uh, you know all things. Uh, you are good, and you've proved your goodness in that while we are sinners, Christ died for us. And even though we don't know why things happen, why fires happen, why we lose people close, young, why car accidents with, with young women just looking forward to life, why these things happen, we don't know. Um, but we know you're good, and we come back to that. We know that you have loved us with an everlasting love. We know that your love is better than life. And so as we come to the words of life, I ask for your people to just have peace. I, I ask for those in this church that are struggling, that are wrestling, that are, have questions, that are hurting, and that just, or that the body would be able to comfort by your spirit. You think of this country, Nepal, which is not real open to the gospel, Lord. Uh, may this earthquake and the aid that's going in, may, may this open a door, an opportunity for Christ to be proclaimed there um, and for the churches there to, to share the love and the hope of Christ that we have. Uh, I pray for our time in the scripture. This is a tough text, Lord, and so I just ask that you'd help me handle it with care and with excellence in a way that Jesus is honored your church is built. Um, Lord, may I be uh, direct where I need to be direct. May I be soft where I need to be soft. Uh, just add to, take away whatever I was planning on saying, Lord, so that these are your words. Uh, a perfect scripture from an imperfect man here, and, and I acknowledge that, and so I need your spirit to help me, and so please do as I uh, open the scriptures this morning. For Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks. You guys can have a seat. If you haven't yet, I got to turn there. Turn to Malachi. Last book of the Old Testament, book of Malachi. I think this is week three, yeah, three in the book. When I was growing up, I had this dentist. His name was Dr. Dylan. He was my uh, grandparents' good friend, so he was an older gentleman. And um, 
he was the kind, you know, this is, he's an old school dentist. I mean, he's had the old, you know, sharp things from the Civil War with rust on them. And he would put, you know, lead and asbestos in your mouth. That was the kind of dentist he was. And, and I had flashbacks, even still this, to this day, of sitting in Dr. Dillon's chair, this little nine-year-old, ten-year-old guy, just looking up at this dude. And, I mean, he had, you know, nose hairs, like three inches they came out of his nose, all right? And his breath was a mixture of, like, Paul Mall and tuna salad, okay? I mean, that's the kind of dentist this guy was. And then his teeth, this is the worst part, his teeth looked like Mr. Ed. You remember Mr. Ed? Okay, some of you are like, what's Mr. Ed? Google it. He was a horse that talked, all right? But he, he, his teeth were all just kind of gangly, and, and it looked like he opened his mouth. It looked like something out of a Jaws movie, okay? That's what kind of what it was, like flesh hanging out or something. I don't know. But I just remember looking up at this guy, thinking, this is gross. Get me out of here. And at the end of the appointment, every time you'd be like, all right, you know, Mr. Bill, you need to, you need to floss more, and, and you need to brush more. And I'm thinking, brah, you got all the tools. You got the sharp, cool things. You got the swirly sink. You got the fluoride. You got the cool toothbrush that no one else has, a spinny thing, you know, you put the, you got all the tools, and you look like that, I think I'm doing pretty good, okay, I think I'm hanging in right now, I'm doing okay, and, and there's a little bit of that going on in Malachi, here's where we've been real quick, it's about 430 B.C., all right, 430 years before Jesus, um, the people of Israel were exiled, now they are back, they rebuilt the temple, they rebuilt the city walls. They rebuilt everything, and yet still the glory of the former Israel has not returned. They're paying high taxes to a foreign king. The crops aren't great. They're depressed. They're sad. They're disappointed with where God has them. Kind of bitter at him. And, and even though they're worshiping and their worship is orthodox and it's theologically sound, it is cold and it is rote. And there's no joy in it. It's ritualistic. And so God has sent his messenger, his prophet Malachi, to kind of point them back to the greatness of the Lord, that, that the Lord is great. That's kind of the theme of the book. And so in their cold worship, he starts off and says, remember that I loved you. I chose you. The reason you're here is because of my love. And he wants to warm their affections based on that. Last week, we saw their, their offering Lenny, the three-legged lamb. They're giving God their leftovers and worship. And so where does he go? Hey, I'm a great king. Great is my glory. All right, that's, that's where he's pointing them to. Today, he's going to continue to deal with the priests. Part of the problem that people have is they're priests. The priests are not doing the, the role God has called them. There's expectations. There's a task that God has set up for them, and the priests are failing. And they have everything they need. They got all the tools, just like Dr. Dillon. They got the swirly sink. Got the cool, sharp utensils from the Civil War got the big needles, got everything they need, but they still look like Gollum when they open their mouth, right? That, that's the problem. They're not applying it to themselves, and so God is going to deal with that. And I know some of you already are like, ah, ha, ha, I'm not a priest. Sweet. Go get me some coffee, honey. We're out. I'm not a priest. I'm not a deacon. I'm not an elder. I'm not a pontiff. I'm not a vicar. I'm not a whatever background you came from. So I'm gold. I'm just Bob. That's all I am this morning, just Bob, all right? And, and let, me, let me address that just a minute, Bob, all right? Just, just a reminder from the New Testament that you are a living stone being built up as a spiritual house to be a what? Holy priesthood. How you like that, Bobbo? 
right? In Revelation, that they're singing this great song, Worthy Are You. Why? Because God brought people from every tribe and language and people and nation and have made them a kingdom of priests. So what that's saying there, Babo, is that you're a priest. New Testament priest, yes, but you are a priest. And so the same problem that the priests are having in Malachi is the same issue sometimes we have in the church, right? Where we have all the tools, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the Word of God, we have the church itself, and yet we open our mouth and we look like Gollum. And so he's going to address it this morning and deal with some of the areas they're feeling, and the same areas they're feeling, some of us are feeling. And so we're going to look at them. And there's kind of four big picture things I want to talk about. I got four key words for you, four observations. You can kind of you know, think about those and, and work through them this week. But let me read our text in its entirety, and then we'll jump in and kind of unpack it a little bit. Verse 1. Now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I've already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring. And spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace. I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth. No wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge. People should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all people. Inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Really, this is a continuation from last week where he's addressing the priests. Right? And, and in verse 1, he, he kind of hits the main the idea of what's going on here, uh, and he does it with two conditional statements. Okay, priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take to heart to give honor to my name, that is the issue. Not that they don't physically hear, not that they don't know, not that they're ignorant. They got all the right info. They got Deuteronomy. They got Leviticus. They got the altar. They got the prayers. They got the sermons. They got all that stuff. They got the tools, the swirly sink, the fluoride, the sharp things. They got all the things they need. It's just they don't listen. Or a synonym, they don't obey. That's their problem. It, it, it doesn't go anywhere. They don't do anything about it. And here's the first thing for us this morning, right up front, priest. Okay, if we're, if we're going to be the type of priest that God wants us to be, what do we do? We listen. We're, you can, you say obey, either one, whichever one you remember better. We listen. So here's the thing. You can read a great book. You can have a blog that you read and you send to all your friends, have a great quiet time, great conference, great worship experience. You can feel like God spoke to your heart. You can feel conviction. You can feel God wants you to do this, called to this, how he wants me to go do that. You can be convinced of all those things and know that's exactly what God wants you to do. But knowing it and doing it are two entirely different things, right? Two entirely different things. Last week, I had the boys, three of them. I had to run out and do a quick errand. And so I, I gave them tasks, and I wrote them down because they're boys. And if I don't write them down, 
one of them will get done, right? So I wrote them down, and I put them on a piece of paper, and I put boxes next to it. I said, when you finish this, trash cans, check the box, and move on to the next thing. Come home, and like an hour later, I look at the list. It's all checked. Check everything. Looks great. Boys rocked it. It was awesome. Did their jobs. Now, what if I would have come home, though, and I would have looked at, came in the door and looked at the list. Everything's checked. Trash cans, check. And I look in the trash can. I see, I see trash. Hey, guys. What, what's the deal? What, did you do the trash cans? Yeah, we, we checked the box. Did you know what I meant by do the trash cans? Yeah, that's why we checked the box. Then why is there trash in the can? Oh, we, we, just want, we just thought we were supposed to know about checking the box. We just checked the box because we know that there's trash in the can, right? See, that, that's the reality of what's going on here. I know all the right stuff, and I even checked the box. But we're not doing anything about it. And what we don't want to be, CBC, is a bunch of box checkers. Heard the sermon, check. Sang the song, check. Wrote the check, check. Here's the, here's the struggle in the, in the church, of, the, of really our church and a lot of churches. There is two extremes, all right? And they, have, they each have little theological names. One extreme is what we call legalism. And on this side, it's what people are like, well, I am better than you because I do this or don't do this. And I, God likes me more than you because I don't fill in the blank. Or I do fill in the blank. That's called legalism, where you believe you can earn God's favor, right? The other side is this side, we call it antinomianism, or anti-law, where I'm under grace, doesn't really matter what I do, right? That I can do whatever I want because nothing can separate me from the love of Christ, right? So I can do what I want, and both are wrong. Yes, you are, you are saved by grace. Yes, you cannot earn God's favor. Yes, nothing can separate for you from the love of Christ. But that does not mean that God condones everything that you do, right? That you were, and I were created in Christ Jesus for good works, that you would walk in them. Peter says that you and I are supposed to be holy. Why? Because God is holy. Paul says that we're supposed to go about whether we're home or away, making it our aim to please God. Can you earn God's favor? You cannot earn God's favor. You cannot earn his salvation. Can you please your heavenly father? You can absolutely please him. In fact, I did a little study this week and just kind of looking at all the places in the Bible where it, where it says that God is pleased with this. God is pleased with this. Let me just highlight some of you because there's a ton of things, y'all, that we as his priests ought to be listening to that please him. Right? A ton of them. Did you know Philippians 4, Hebrews 13 both teach that when you share what you have with other people, maybe you have an extra car, you let someone borrow it. Maybe you gave them a ride to church this morning. Maybe you take them out to lunch. Maybe you have an extra room, you're letting someone stay there. Maybe you got a vacation home, you let someone take it. Whatever it is, when you share what God has given you with other people, that is pleasing to God. It's good. When you Take care of your parents. Your parents are, are elderly. They, there's Alzheimer's. There's whatever the issue is. When you care physically, emotionally, spiritually for your parent, that is pleasing according to 1 Timothy 5 to God. It pleases him. 
When you live a life of surrender, when you're saying, God, not my will be done. I wanted to go this way. I wanted to go to this college. You directed me here. I wanted to buy this. You did this. I want. When you surrender your life and say, God, I want to present myself as a living sacrifice, that is pleasing and acceptable to God the Father. You know that? Kids, eight-year-olds, 16-year-olds, whatever age you are. Do you know that when, when mom says, clean your room, make your bed, and you make your bed and clean your room, that is pleasing to God. Teenagers, when mom says, be home by 11.30, and you show up at 11.29 instead of 11.35, that is pleasing. When you go to the party and you know this is not a place that God would want you to be, and you walk out and you leave, when your parents say, I don't want you driving with all those people in your car, you know you're only allowed to have so-and-so and so-and-so in the car, and when someone tries to get in your car, and you're like, yo, you can't, you can't ride with me because my parents only want me to ride. When you do that, that pleases God. It's pleasing. It's listening. When you pray for your boss who you don't like, for your commanding officer, for your VP, for the president, for the mayor, even if you agree with them or not, when you pray for them, 1 Timothy 2 says that pleases God. When you're a businessman or working and you are honest and you are trustworthy and you are faithful and you do your job and you show up on time and you leave on time even when everyone else is not, when you do that, even if it costs you a promotion, even if it costs you the bid or the contract, when you are faithful, Proverbs 12, 22 says that pleases God. When you're a husband and you own it that you just messed up and you go to your spouse and you say, I am sorry. When you go to your kids and say, will you forgive me? When you go to another person to, to reconcile because you did something, when there's a humble and contrite spirit and a brokenness, Psalm 51 says that is pleasing to God. When you bear fruit, when you're at home and watching TV and no one's around and that trashy show is on and all of a sudden you, are, you have the choice, no one's around, am I going to watch it? Or am I going to turn off the TV and am I going to flee immorality? When you turn off the TV and flee or when you, when you see the, the person jogging in an outfit, you're like, why are they jogging in that? And you turn your head, that is bearing fruit and pleasing to God. And those are the things, priests, we ought to be doing. That's what God has called us to. That is what he's equipped us to. Not that we just be hearers of the word. Yeah, that's good. That we would be doers of the word. And if you're here, and God has been bringing up an issue time and time and time and time and time again, your parents have been telling you this, teenagers, your spouse has been telling you this, that I keep preaching it and you keep hearing it, your community group keeps talking about it, it just shows up, and God is trying to get your attention. Do not ignore him. If there's some habit, right, you're spending too much time on this, or this is, you're dating this person and everyone sees it's not good and it's right, you're spending your money, your eating habits are horrible. Whatever it is, listen to what God is saying because he is leading you because he loves you, because he cares enough to direct your path, because he's the good shepherd, and he loves you enough to show him his, your ways. And when you do wander, he loves you enough to leave the 99 behind and come and get y'all's tail, right? That is who he is because he is ferociously after your joy. Not your happiness, but your joy. And he knows that your joy is dependent on him, on being in him. Because as at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Right? And so listen. 
Because if you don't, he, he, he goes into, there's consequences. There's a law of reaping and sowing when we don't listen, when we harden our heart. Look what he says to them. He says, this command's for you. If you won't listen, if you won't take it to heart, he says, I will send the curse upon you. I will curse your blessings. You're supposed to be a blessing. The priests are supposed to be the blessers. You know, Lord bless you and keep you and lay your face. And everywhere they go, they're supposed to be a blessing. He said, I'm not, I'm not going to make you a blessing anymore. I'm going to actually be opposed to you. Right? And here's this, to me, the strongest thing is in verse 3. This is the one that rocks me to the core. He says, behold, I'm going to rebuke your offspring, your kids that are supposed to follow in your footsteps, because being a priest was a family business. Okay, you didn't say, oh, mom, I want to grow up and be a, a professional camel rider. Great. No, you're going to be a priest because you're a Levite, and all the Levites are priests, right? So, so you, got, you guys get to be the priests, so, but your kids are not going to be because of you. Your kids are going to suffer because of you, knuckleheads. And here's the principle for us. When you do not listen, it always impacts somebody else. You think, no, no, that's just my deal. My wife doesn't know about that. It's just a couple extra prescription pills. It's just the way I spend my extra money. It's just the way, it's my deal. I'm not hurting anybody. You think that. You think that. First Timothy says that some sins, you know, they show themselves now. Some sins, they show themselves later. You think you can escape it? Look, if you are a liar, your kids are going to be liars. If you're a lazy slugger and obnoxious, your roommates are going to suffer, and so is your company. If you are going to compromise your purity today, single folks, I'm telling you, you don't see it. 20 years down the line, it is going to affect the intimacy of your marriage. Just telling you. Right? Because you, you, you do not sin in isolation. You cannot, you cannot take fire into your bosom and not get burned. What the proverb says. And so he says, y'all, just li- listen to me. Some of you guys are on the verge. You're right there, the verge of an affair. There's some drastic decision that's going to alter your life. And your loving shepherd is saying through this broken man this morning, stop. Don't go down that path. Listen before you face these consequences. And he really, he's going to wake them up. Look what happens at the end of verse 3. He says this. He's I'm going to spread dung on your faces. That's exactly what it says it is, y'all. Okay? How many of you didn't see that one coming? You've been in church a long time. You never got, you never got the doo-doo in your face sermon. You're like, I've read the, I got the kid's Bible. There's Noah and there's Abraham and there's, there's Joseph. I don't see the dung in the face of the priest story, right? I don't get the flanograph with the guy with the dung on his face, okay? <laughs> That'd be a good one. As shocking as it is, that's what it's meant to be. He says, and the word, the Hebrew word, afal, is just literally that. It's the intestines that are ripped out of the the sacrifices and opened. And he says, that's supposed to be unclean and taken outside the city and burned. He said, I'm going to spread on your face and I'm going to carry you away in a big pile of doo-doo. How do you like that? He said, that's kind of harsh. He's trying to get their attention. It's, it's a drastic measure, yes, but so if you see your six-year-old walking towards the street and you see a truck coming, are you going to say, buddy, don't do that? You're going to say, stop! Now, stop! That's what he's saying. And the reason he's doing it, y'all, it comes back to verse one of, I mean, chapter 1, verse 2, his love. He says, this is why. So you will know that I've sent this command to you, that my covenant with Lee may stand. 
He says, I don't want this covenant to break. I don't want you, because of your impurity, to end this deal. This is me giving you a chance of grace and love. This is not God being harsh and mean. The reason he sends Malachi is because he loves them and he wants them to turn. He's offering grace. He's offering forgiveness. He's offering repentance here. He says, I don't want this. I want my covenant to stand. And this morning, what he's saying to the church is, if this is you, I, I am the good shepherd. I lay my life down for the sheep. I love you. Don't go down this path. Who are you going to listen to? The enemy of your soul who has been a liar from the beginning, who hates you? Or me, who my love is better than life? Who are you going to listen to? He says, my priests, listen, my sheep, they hear my voice. They listen to me. And Jesus later says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, enters the kingdom, but those who do the will of the Father. What do we do? Church, we listen when he speaks because he knows to what he speaks about, right? That's the first thing. Verses five through seven, he's going to look back at the good things that Levi and his sons did, and he's gonna highlight them. That's kind of where we wanna spend most of our time because these are the positives of what he wants us to do. Look what he says in verse five. He says, my covenant with him, with Levi, was one of life and peace. I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear. He feared me. He stood in awe of my name. Now, this is a reference. You have to do a little bit of digging, but to Numbers chapter 25, this idea of covenant of life and peace. What happens in Numbers 25 is this. The people of Israel have fallen into Baal worship, and they are marrying Moabite women, two big no-nos, right? And God has sent a plague on the people because of it. And, and, and the people are repenting, and they're weeping at the tabernacle, and it's headed in a good direction. But there's this one dude, all right? He's got himself a brand new Moabite hottie. He's got his arm around her, and he's taking her home to daddy. And he walks right by Moses, and he walks right by Aaron, and he walks right by all the peop- people that are repenting. He kind of winks at him and waves. He walks into his tent, and there's this one dude named Phineas. He's a young dude. He's Aaron's grandson. He's Moses's grandnephew. He picks up a javelin. This is going well. This is a good story, okay? He gets his javelin. He follows him into the tent, and he ends the honeymoon real quick with one shish kebab. You think, that is harsh. It actually says that God stopped the plague because he was zealous for his name. His holiness mattered to Phineas, and this guy was just kind of flaunting his unholiness in God's sight, and he dealt with it, and it was zealous for God's name. He stood in awe, and so God says, I made a covenant with him of life and peace, a forever covenant. That's what this is alluding to. He said, he feared me. He revered me. There was some awe. He stood in awe of my name. Here's the second thing for us, y'all. Here's the word. It's just awe. We talk, we've been talking about this, right? The, the book is, is driving us to see great is the Lord. How many of you last night, you were like amazed at that storm? I was out driving around, and it was like, man, this is craziness. Lightning and floodedness and all this stuff. And I'm like, man, this is just power. That's nothing for God. That's nothing. It's a little storm that he calmed with a word, right? And so we need to be a people that would just have some awe and fear and reverence. Here's kind of two takeaways I have from that, just kind of thinking about this week. Number one, if God is great and big and awesome and vast and mighty and powerful, then we ought to expect and ask great and big and vast and mighty things from him, right? 
Because if all he can handle is blessing your food and traveling mercies home from church, that's not a big God. And I'm not saying don't pray for those things. But what I'm saying is that's all we ask, then that's a little God. You know, it's interesting. I read a tweet this morning from Piper. Why does God provide, after he you know, feeds the 5,000 and the 7,000, whatever, he has 12 baskets left and seven baskets left. Why is that? To show when you get the end of your resources, there's still an abundance with God. That is our God. And so when you ask him little things, right, what is little to him? If you have no expectations of him, you think, well, I don't want to be presumptuous. It's not presumptuous to ask a great God great things. It actually honors him because you believe he can do it. So when you're, when you're praying, ask for great and mighty things that you can't do on your own that bring you to the end of your resources so that he has to show up because he delights in showing up, y'all. That's what it means to stand in awe. So when you're praying, I've been praying for people in ICU this week, praying for the building this week, praying for all sorts of stuff. Pray big prayers. You have a big God. Don't expect little things from, a, from him. He's a big and mighty God. That's one thing about awe. Here's another thing. Because he is great, because we respect him, because we have all, his reputation matters, and his reputation is linked to mine, right? If I am his priest, where I go, his name goes, right? And so I don't want to do anything to drag his name through the mud. When I was at the Citadel, when we left campus, we were supposed to wear our uniforms. I did 73% of the time, all right? And the other times I hid. I tried to hide, but I had a bald head. So everyone in Charleston was hippie, like Ethan, right, with long hair, right? But all the military guys, short hair. So we knew the Citadel guys, even if they were in uniform. But the, the idea was you were supposed to be in your uniform because then everyone knew that you were a cadet and they could see your behavior. And if you acted like a knucklehead, they'd call the school and say, I saw a bunch of your knucklehead cadets down at the mall. And you would get like I might have gotten once or twice, conduct unbecoming of a cadet. <laughs> All right? That's why I didn't wear my uniform. If I was going to be unbecoming, I wanted to be in civilian clothes, right? But that's the idea. that You carry the name of Christ. His reputation matters. And so when you are kind at work, and you're a good boss, and you're loving, and you're working hard, and you're a good soccer coach for those eight-year-olds, and you're not treating, treating it like it's FIFA World Cup. And, and you take care of your yard. And, and you, you do these things, it speaks well of your high, high God. Right? It, it reveres him, because people are going to say, he's a grumpy punk. He must have a grumpy God. Right? Or he is a gracious dude. His God must be gracious. His reputation matters. So we got to remember that wherever we go. Because you don't want people looking at you like I looked at Dr. Dillon. You ought to floss, Bill. When are you going to start? I still don't floss because of him. <laughs> right? I have an aversion to flossing. Right? So what do we do? We listen, and there's awe. Next verse. What else did Levi do? Verse 6. True instruction was in his mouth. No wrong was found in his lips. He walked with me. Underline that word. I love that. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. He turned many from iniquity. I love the imagery of he just walked with me. There's nothing impressive about a walk. You know that? What is a walk? It's just one step and another step. It's just so unimpressive. No one cares about the Olympics power walker guy. Let's be honest. We think he's weird and he walks weird, right? 
You ever seen him? You're like, what is that thing he does? I, I, I don't even know, right? It's just weird. Everyone loves the runner. Everyone loves the marathon. Everyone loves Usain Bolt in the 100-yard dash, right? We love that. The power walker, who cares? He's weird. Because there's nothing impressive about a walk. Only that's what this guy did. He just walked. Daily walk with God. Just consistent. And here's our word. We want to be priests who are just consistent. That we just wake up, and what do we do? We walk with God day by day. How many times in scripture you just kind of see that highlight? It's about day. It's about your daily bread. It's about don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough problems. Just do today. Right? That God's mercies are new every morning. So if you mess up today, guess what? Tomorrow's a new day. And even when there's all these kind of big things in life and these difficult things, and we have a lot of them, and you're going to go through them, how do you manage these devastating things, loss of this, loss of that, whatever it is? You know what you do? You go day by day, his mercies are new. Day, that's, that's what we do. And the struggle with walking is it doesn't feel like you get anywhere, right? You're like, I'm slow. I don't, want, I don't want to walk. Last Saturday, I woke up, and I was just like, I felt like a dog. I'm like, what is wrong with me? I know I'm 41 now, but great day. I feel like I'm like 90. And then I realized, okay, I went to the Heritage yesterday. I went to the, I went to the golf tournament. And what do we do? We walked 18 holes, right? And I mean, you don't, you don't think that's much because you do this. You're like, <laughs> walk another hundred. You do that like 38 times. But then you realize at the end of the day, man, I just walked like five miles. Didn't feel like five miles, but I did. That's the nature of a walk. Look, you walk with God just day by day. Wake up, God, what do you, I, just, I want to be yours today. Just daily bread, just spending a little bit of time with him, praying, thinking about him, just he leads, you obey. You do that day by day, six months, one year, three years, seven years. You will look back and be like, oh my goodness, look how far I've come. And the reason some people have been saved 30, 40 years and they're just kind of immature, you know, never really grown up. And we got guys that are 19, 20 that have been saved a year and a half. The difference is they are a day at a time walking with God, and this guy's just kind of all over the map. Maturity is not some secret. It's just a day by day by day, right? It's like, just keep walking. It's like Dory says, just keep walking, just keep walking, la, 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 whatever it is. Just day by day, just wake up. And so the challenge for us, y'all, is... You don't need to worry about six years from now. Just tomorrow, wake up, and you walk with Christ, just like this guy. There's a consistency. And notice there's a consistency, and, and he walked in what? He walked in uprightness and peace. The word uprightness, in some of your translations say integrity. It's a word that just means oneness or on the level, that he was the same guy in public as he was in private. So his wife goes out of town, his roommates go out of town, whatever. He's not watching a different type of movie because they're out of town, right? He's not talking, he's not using this kind of language with his Christian group of friends and his non-Christian group of friends. He's over here using this type of language. He's not sober and loving Jesus over here and getting blitzed over here. His favorite band over here is not DC Talk and over here it's Megadeth. He's the same. He's not on the phone. He's not yelling at the kids. As soon as someone calls, hello, how are you? There's a oneness. Integrity. That's what he was. That's what we want to be. 
right? That, that's, that's the drive of a priest. Because if not, we're telling everyone else to brush and floss and we got a big old piece of taco hanging out of our teeth, right? There's a consistency. So we listen. There's an awe. There's a consistency. We're walking. And one more thing, and the key word is this. It's just messenger. It says at the end, he's, he's a messenger. Again, read the whole context, verses 6 and 7. Um, trying to find true instruction was in his mouth no wrong was found on his lips he walked with me in peace and uprightness he turned many from iniquity for the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth for he is a messenger the word messenger is just the word for angel by the way translated depending on context just a messenger and we are messengers of who of the lord of hosts of the sovereign of the universe whatever job you have that's great you're the vp the ceo you're the teacher you're whatever now ultimately you are a messenger of the lord of hosts which implies you have a message right that's what that's what messenger you have something to talk about and kind of just real quick three things about messengers all right and and kind of from this context and and maybe i'm applying mine to you guys but here's kind of Three C's that I get out of what it looks like to be a messenger. Number one is there should be clarity. As a messenger, you you just need to be clear. Notice it says true instructions in his mouth. No wrong on his lips. People seek instruction from his mouth. You should be clear about what truth is as a follower of Jesus. If people want to know truth, they should be able to come to you. That doesn't mean you're arrogant with it. Doesn't mean you're harsh with it. Doesn't mean you're a jerk with it. But if they want to know what truth looks like, they should be able to come to you and say, tell me what you think about this. And look, we don't get to pick and choose truth. We live in a day and age. Churches are, well, we, this is true. You don't get to pick and choose your doctrines. Well, I like heaven. I don't like hell. I like grace. I don't like forgiveness and wrath. I, you don't get to pick. Truth is truth. And people ought to be able to come to priests and find out truth. My goal on Sunday mornings is not to wow you with anything or be cool or hip. It's just to be clear. So that you walk out and say, I know what God is saying through this text. If I fail, that's on me. But my goal ultimately is to be clear. Right? Second C is is courage. It takes courage to be a priest. And let me just tell you this. Young folks, it's going to be harder and harder for you than it was for me. It just is. You guys, you need to be strong in the Lord and the power of his strength. You need to read some Joshua. That I will be with you wherever you go. Because it is going to be hard to stand for what is true in a world that is completely flipped upside down. And when you stand, and when you, you're going to stand alone, you're going to stand alone even on your peers, and here's what's going to happen. Some people, you're going to be the aroma of Christ, and some people are going to love you because you're going to lead them to life. And other people, because you're loving, they're going to hate you. Not because they don't like loving people, but because it reminds them that they're not loving. You're going to be working hard, and they're lazy, and so they're going to hate you because you're going to show their laziness. You're going to be pure, and they're going to hate you because they're not. But that's okay, because they hated the most loving, gentle, pure, holy person who ever walked the earth, and they murdered him for it. It's going to take courage. But he says, look, I'm with you wherever you go. I'll empower you. Clarity, courage, and the last thing is Christ. Your message, my message, is not CBC. It's not me. It's not my favorite team. My message is Christ. My life speaks Christ. I am a priest of Christ. Let them see Christ. We want you to walk out of these doors exalting Christ. We want you to think Christ is great. That's what we want. And here's the deal. 
These guys failed. Verse, verse 9, it says, I make you despise. They, they didn't do it. They show partiality in their instruction. They're not doing these things. Hope, we don't know if they turn exactly or not. I mean, we have 400 years of silence after Malachi. So we don't know exactly. We know history, what happened. We don't know if these guys repented. Here's the deal, though. They ultimately were failures as priests, and so are you. The Old Testament priests, the New Testament, we all fail. Their, their problem Number one, they were supposed to be mediating between the people and God, but they had to offer sin sacrifices for themselves before they could even do that. And then they had to do it time and time and time and time and time again, weekly, daily, yearly, sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. And then eventually they died, and there had to be a new priest. Until one came who didn't have to make an offering for himself, who didn't, who didn't have to atone for his own sin first. He only had to make one offering his own self, and then he sat down being finished at the right hand of the Father, and he lives forever. His name was Jesus, and now he says this, I'm not calling you to be a priest based on your worthiness, and I'm not calling based on your ability because you cannot do it, but I have given you everything you need pertaining to life and godliness in my spirit, in my word, in the church to equip you to be my right so that you guys would listen so that you would stand in awe so that you would consistently walk with me so that you'd be my messengers that is what we do priests are we going to fail yes but when we do we have a high priest who can sympathize with us one who has been tempted in all things yet without sin and we go to him and so if you've been a failure you come in like i am a lousy priest great great place to start turn from that repent of that and let's celebrate the fact that he was not so that we could be. Let's celebrate that he was dead and he is alive. And now we worship him, we stand in all. And if there's something you need to deal with, don't leave today not having dealt with it. If there's some area you're not listening, there's some area you're not being consistent, deal with it. Don't, don't be a dentist with nasty teeth. Don't, oh yeah, you, I heard a great sermon. And leave and not, not be moved to action. That's what we do. We're doers of the word. But we're going to start. Let's stand. Let's worship. Let's not offer God our leftovers. Let's stand in all of him and worship him together. Father, be glorified as we sing, as we worship you. I, this is a hard sermon, Lord, for me. I'm not looking forward to preaching it two more times, but you've called me to do it. Change us from the inside out as a church. Make us more like your son. We're not worthy, but you are. Please help us to stand in awe, to listen, to be consistent, to be your messengers. For Christ's name's sake, we pray. Amen.